patience in suffering. Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day. Alice, to whom I'm married and is the mum of my three kids, is currently in Shooting Stars, so talk about patience in suffering. But yeah, please sign up to help in that group. We are desperate for uh, people to go on that team. Can I just say uh, hello to the people on YouTube? Some of my favourite people in this church are still isolating. I've got a couple of confessions, actually, while we're here. I forgot to send my mum a card. Mum, if you watch this, happy Mother's Day. (laughs) First confession. And then there's another confession. Usher song, these are my confessions. Anyone else? Great song. This is my second confession you're going to absolutely hate. So when I read a novel, when I read a book, I read the first chapter, figure out who the main characters are, like the protagonist, and then I skip to the end and read the final chapter to find out how it ends, which is obviously sacrilege to anyone who loves a good book. I also do it with TV series, especially based on real life ones. I'm like, I've got to know what happens. Watch The Crown. I'm there like on Wikipedia, like, okay... Did the Queen actually say that? You know, it's all that sort of stuff. Like, I've just got to get there. It's basically a self-preservation thing. Okay, the person's dead. Okay, so I can prepare myself. Something bad is going to happen in the middle of that book, between there and there. And I can basically emotionally prepare myself in the days and weeks to come that, like, nothing's going to shock me, nothing's going to surprise me. But you're going to have to wait till the end to find out why I've confessed that to you. Someone, I, talk, I talked to someone older than me about preaching this passage from James. It's great, isn't it, James? It's like, it's hard, it's tough enough as it is. Then he starts throwing in the name Job and he's like, oh, goodness. <laughs> like, if anyone's read the book of Job, it's just like a biography of suffering. Quite long as well. It's just like, it's going to be a great morning. Someone older than me tried to explain, well, me, which is always fun, my generation, the generations coming up behind mine, and to be honest, society as a whole. He shared an article with me. In it, there was this quote. For young adults, there is no psychic middle ground. Frustration catapults into crisis. What he was basically saying is his happiness, a bit of frustration comes, arrives there in life. Could be minor, could be major, could be minor. And what happens is, like a catapult, you're stretched back and it lets go. And we go from just a little bit of frustration and suddenly we're in like a crisis in our lives. We think we've gone from there and we've jumped to there. The point I was trying to make was in that stretching, in that middle gap right there, as you're being stretched in that frustration, is the ancient practice known as patience. (laughs) Is there much patience in the world now? I'm not sure. You look at modern culture dads trying to get their, their, get their wives, the mums of their kids, uh, Mother's Day presents. You can get it in one click. Yesterday, I reckon there were plenty of dads yes, early yesterday morning on Amazon. Okay, can I get this by tonight? Can I get this in time? With one click, there's something I want, there's something I need, I think I need. I can have it. I want it this morning. I can have it by the end of the day. That does not encourage the practice of patience in and of itself. Something annoys me something winds me up. Once upon a time, it was called firing off an angry letter. What did that entail? Getting some paper. Who's got paper? Getting a pen. Who here has got a pen on them today? About five of you, I reckon. You get a pen. You've got to write the letter. You've got to get the address. You've got to get a stamp. You then go to the post box. Oh, I've missed the last post. So it goes into the post box, sits there all the next day until five o'clock, whatever time it come, the postman comes to pick it up. There's a real process to it. And by the time you are posting it in there, you might not actually be angry anymore. You've had all of that time to get through it. But now what? 
fire off an angry text, boom. Someone's wound me up, text message, WhatsApp group. You're just like, WhatsApp groups, they're like the bane of my existence. I just <laughs> swipe mute, swipe mute. People overshare so much in those groups. Just, uh, Instagram, Insta, instant. It literally means instant. The stuff people put on there, it's like our culture does not encourage patience. Time to just mull it over and think about it. And even if you delete it, it's guaranteed at least one person saw that post. Guaranteed. It's like when you're walking along, you trip over a paving slab. Guaranteed at least one person saw it. You're like, oh, no one saw that. Middle of the night. I promise you at least one person saw that. If not, you saw it in your heart. So what do we do? I'm here to show you and tell you that the resources of the Christian life can help us grow in patience. The patience that James is talking about, the patience that's throughout, you see throughout Scripture. My disclaimer is... If you're being run through the ringer right now, if you're going through something, some sort of suffering, something that, some sort of experience that is hurt, is hurtful and it's painful, lots of what I'm about to say might sound trite, might sound flippant. There are many among us, including myself, that often when someone's going through something, we grab our Bibles, just recite a couple of verses. And it's just like, listen, just because you don't read that verse to someone when they are in a crisis does not mean you th don't think it's true. Think twice, as Celine Dion once said. Um, before just throwing scripture at people. So some of this might sound quite flippant, but I, there is something here for everyone today about being steadfast. James uses a couple of illustrations. There's like a general one when he talks about the farmer and his crops. And then there's something more specific in there when he talks about Job and the prophets and actual suffering in life. So you look at the first one uh, in verse seven, where it says, patiently the farmer waits for the rains. Uh, the original Greek word there is macrophemia. That is the actual pronunciation. Trust me, uh, don't look it up. Uh, which literally means long-suffering. Then there's this other word later on where we would use the word perseverance. Hippomone uh, is, the, is the next one. Again, that's the literal pronunciation of that word. But that means to hyperstand. And you're like, what does that mean? The closest illustration I can come to for what it means to hyperstand is being beaten, physically beaten. You, you get knocked down and you just bounce back up again. And then you go again, you get hit, you go down and you stand back up again. You are hyper standing. You are under that stress, under that pain of being beaten, whatever the circumstance is, you fall down and then you hyper stand. You get back up, you stand back up like a boxer. See how the farmer waits for the land, verse seven, to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. So this is the general illustration. He's using the context that his readers were in at the time. It was hot, it was dry, there was a lot of agriculture and the rains came twice a year, in the autumn, in the spring. So you plant your crops. You could do it in the winter, try and, but what's the point? There's no point. It's wait until the spring, wait for those spring rains to come for your crops to grow. So you have to be patient during those months. And then in the, in the summer, in the barren months, in the barren times, you're like, it's okay. Because come autumn, the rains will come, the crops will grow. And this was their livelihood. This was how, literally their existence. And it's an example of patience in general life for them then and for us. And we come back to this consumer capitalist culture again, how we need to opt to grow in patience just generally in our day-to-day -day lives. Patience in waiting for a job to come through, waiting to get paid. And the reality is, Nothing is really worth just that one click in life. No relationship is worth one click or one swipe. No relationship of any worth really is instant. It takes time 
It takes patience to grow together. And that's what he's talking about there when he starts talking about relationships with people. Something that I do a lot, and my good friends here will know it, and this is one of the things I constantly have to bring to God, is during that stretching, that illustration that I used earlier, I just start grumbling. I start grumbling to others. That was in the passage as well, but I do not grumble. Like, I just default to, I just go home and moan to Alice about stuff, which isn't helpful for her. It's not helpful for me. It's like, oh, someone's made a terrible decision that I would never make. You just start moaning about them. James says, a lot of James is about that. Watch your tongue. Watch you say it. Watch what you say. Andrew spoke on that brilliantly a few weeks ago. And then we get to verses 10 and 11. And this is the really fun stuff that I mentioned about the prophets and about, you look at the prophets in the Old Testament. So take Jeremiah as an example. This guy, part of the people of God, God was speaking to him and he was basically preaching, writing down and preaching and communicating to God's people what he saw coming, what God through Jeremiah saw coming in the future. And they were going through all sorts, all sorts of torment and trial and persecution. And again with Job as well. And it's not stoicism. We can, it's, it's a fine line between patience and stoicism. Stoicism is you just let it run off your back. You just close your heart up and just go, I'm just going to dig in. I say that all the time, I've just got to dig in. It's got to dig in. I run quite a few marathons, you know, like that last 10K. So it's got to dig in. Also, my bag is at the end. So the quickest way to get my bag is to keep running. Otherwise, I've got to walk and that takes longer. He gets his character, Job. And if you read Job, you're like, that's an interesting example. That's an interesting example for James to hold up as someone for us to look to for this as an example of patience in suffering. Constantly moaning about his circumstances. The guy lost everything. He lost his health, he lost his wealth, he lost his family. And he just moaned. And you're like, it's kind of fair enough. But who was he lamenting to? Who was he moaning to? Who was he looking to in those moments? God. He never let go of God. The prophets, Jeremiah, and all of those guys, what did they never do? They never stopped preaching. They never stopped listening to God and preaching to the people, communicating to the people. Yeah, you see them lament. Yeah, God wants us to wrestle with him, wants us to argue with him, wants us to fall out with him, wants us to shout at him. He's big enough to take it. He's big enough to take our frustration and our anger. We take it to him in those moments. Yeah, it doesn't mean inner poise, some incredible inner poise, turning in on ourselves. C.S. Lewis says, grief isn't to be compared, simply endured. So my grief, my suffering isn't to be compared to someone else's grief, their suffering. It's all relative. Many of you have heard me, would have heard me get up here and tell you about my shouting matches with God. There was one spectacular one in the MS at King's College Hospital in front of the pastries. It was the end of the day, and it was a Sunday. Those pastries had been there since at least Saturday. At the time, both my kids were in hospital, uh, both my older kids, I've got three now, Eugene and Miles. Miles, uh, second in line to the throne, um, were both in the hospital and it was like, oh boy. And I just stood there in the MS. Person's there, like, just putting the yellow stickers on everything. End of the day on Sunday, and I'm just there. We're like, God. And God, God got a lot of it in that moment, and He's okay with that. I look back at those times, and it's like um, I talked about wrestling with God just a minute ago and uh, 
I feel like I've walked away with a bit of a limp when it comes to wrestling with God over my kids. Um, not a physical limp. I get those on Tuesdays when I play football with Ben and he puts in one of his tackles. Um, I limp away from those often in the spiritual sense. Walking away, like Jacob, you walk away with a limp after fighting with God over something, whatever it is. And uh, I've reached the stage in life where I feel like I can look back and say, when I look back at my life, when I look back, I can, I can genuinely see in those toughest moments. So when Eugene was born, our oldest son, who's nearly seven, day two, yeah, we, he got rushed to Great Woman Street for surgery. And in turn, we were told that uh, he had Down syndrome. We had no prenatal tests or scans to inform us of that. So it was um, a bit of a shock. And the uh, surgery was linked to Down syndrome. It was like a serious bowel surgery he needed. Otherwise, he would have died. And there were more appointments, more surgeries. He spent like, the first month, he and Alice, his mum, spent the first month in hospital, just constant diagnoses. We had, he's had about six operations, I think, in total, both bowel and heart operations up to this point. Um, just more diagnoses, more verdicts. And then how he, and in society as well, just constant verdicts, constant labels put on him, put on us. You know, society isn't necessarily always great when it comes to the vulnerable, when it comes to the weak, which is nonsense because Eugene's as strong as an ox and is often the most emotionally strong person in the room. Or, yeah, many of you will remember that Sunday morning with Miles, the famous Sunday morning was famous for us where he aspirated. He had a seizure and in, the, in the kitchen and he aspirated and a bit of food went into his lungs as he went like that. Lost his breath and went grey and Alice was performing CPR on the living room floor. And more diagnoses, more labels put on our second kids and expectations change, milestones change, lots of medication. But I look back, you look back at those moments and you're like, oh yeah, great, it sounds a little bit trite. But honestly, maybe not in the moment because you'd have to be made a particular way to be like, oh yeah, I can see God working in this while I'm stood there looking at the pastries. Like, seriously, where the heck are you? Like, you'd have to be made a particular way. I'd love to spend some time with you if you're able to process it in the moment. But I can say that God's, I saw God at work and um, I can see how the Holy Spirit was, yes, comforting us, but also doing a deep work in us to prepare us for, for, for our life as a family together and as children of God as well. But you have to make that choice when you look back. There's a choice that you make, you get to a crossroads. Sometimes it's every day. Sometimes it's once a week, month, could be years. Um, but you get to a crossroads and you decide to either look back and see God at work or you look back and you can ignore how he worked and you can say, you know what? Where the heck were you? Again, and I, that's something that creeps up on me a lot. Like, where were you when that happened? We get another reminder, you know, something to do with Eugene's education will come up. This, and we're like, you know, God, and these little things, these little whispers that start to come in, these little doubts that start to come in. There was a choice that we made. There's a choice that you make. And you say, you know what, God, you turned up then. You're going to turn up again. And you trust that. One theologian says about patience, he says, it is an ability to face trouble without blowing up or hitting out. The opposite to patience is resentment towards God and others. And it's counterfeits, the fake versions of patience are cynicism or lack of care. I don't know if any of you uh, heard something that Eugenie shared when she shared last week, what she said when she got up and shared about her family who had to escape Kiev. They made it into Poland and then they made it into Germany, to Dusseldorf, and they flew over, they got their visas, and they're here now in London. And 
there was something that Eugenie said. Uh, I, I sat there and I was like, it completely floored me and it sat on me for the week. This is, this is this sermon in one sentence. She says, these are horrible, horrible circumstances, but I can see how God is working in them. And you're just like, wow, these people are like exhausted, like what they've endured, what they've escaped, what they've got away from. Yet she can still see God working in those circumstances. It's quite profound. There's a real wisdom to that. But there's a choice to be made when you do that. This may sound heartless or uh, even untruthful when considered alongside your uh, current circumstances, but what God is actually doing is like a refining that's going on in the fire when they burn off the dross to purify gold, to purify silver. God's doing that. You read the book of Job, which James, again, as I said, referenced. It's, it's pretty long and it's, it's not an easy read, but his, he suffered pretty terribly and he didn't stop praying. He complains, but... It's to God. I look at it and I think, if I can just keep making that choice, it's the foundation for everything else. Everything else flows out of that choice that we make in prayer, basically. Our lives flow out of how we talk to God, how God talks to us, our relationship with him. Job, in chapter 23, 23 chapters into his ordeal, he says this, if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. He's talking about God. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. 23 chapters. It's quite incredible. You're saying, I I have no idea what you're doing in this moment, God. I literally can't. I have no concept of what you're doing. But you understand me. And you've got me. And I'll come out of this knowing what this patience that James talks about looks like out of this moment so here's what to do first we have to look up we follow what the prophets did Jeremiah did he looked up he looked to God we follow what Job did just constantly in the moaning taking it to God constantly prayer praying to God constantly handing it all over to him each day we have to preach the truths of what we know to our souls um, and then we pray for dear life (laughs) and that's how we grow in patience we grow in it because he grows it in us God grows it it's a fruit of the Spirit, and the Spirit's growing in us. Through trial, let me be clear, seriously, let me be clear. This is like not so much the small print, but the headline. God doesn't deal out this grief, but he works through it. Week two, we heard this from James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Hold on. So not only is it enduring, it's considering it joy. What, the, what on earth is James getting at? I've just got to get through this. Forget joy, you carry on in the sentence. And what does the second half of that sentence say? It says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Very similarly, Paul says this in uh, Romans 5, we rejoice in our sufferings, in our sufferings. We don't rejoice for them. We don't say, yeah, it's amazing, this suffering, but we rejoice in them. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. There is a purpose in it. In that fog, there is a purpose in that grief. No, no, but not mine, Dom. I promise you, there is hope. So this is what I do. You can try it too. You basically try and look, just look to Jesus as a starting point. 
I'm going to choose to spend more time in your word than on Twitter, on social media, on Facebook, on WhatsApp. I'm going to choose to spend more time in your word and waiting in your presence than watching the crown. Reading up on the crown while watching the crown. Or reading whatever news provider. Yes, read the news. Of course, read the news. Kalbar, hold a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other. Yes, do that. But that, that's where we get our ultimate truth in the word. You start reading scripture, you find the scriptures that work in that moment. Again, in James, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. What? I feel like I've got no faith at times. So in this moment, I have no faith. But that's all right. Because Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, remains faithful for us on our behalf. Because he can't disown himself. He's doing it for us in those moments when it feels like I've got nothing left. There's so much hope in there, church. Like if I'm struggling to believe in his love, you start engaging with the length and breadth and height and depth of God's love so I may be filled with the fullness of God. That's Paul again. This is another really good one. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. So there's this guy, Paul, centuries ago, who wrote that stuff. He's confident that he, God, who began a good work in me, Dom Toms, He's going to complete it. He's going to complete the work that he started on the day that Jesus returns. So I know he doesn't start a job and then move on. He starts that good work and he has promised us through his word, we can take this, this stuff can be applied. He's going to finish that work in our lives. Again, the prayer of King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles, he says, we don't know what to do. God, honestly, we, we've got nothing. We're, we're out of ideas we're surrounded. At the time, God's people were surrounded by the hordes. The enemy was surrounding them. His people were looking to him for inspiration. And he's like, I got nothing. We don't know what to do, God. He turns to God again. But then what does he say? But our eyes are on you. We got nothing. So honest. But our eyes are on you. So we look up and then we step in. You get stuck into this community here, this imperfect yet beautiful community here, this family of families. We've got this building, we've got loads of stuff that goes on during the week, which is brilliant. That's the framework, that's the skeleton. And the skeleton needs a body. And that's what this is, that's what we are together. We are a body. All of our circumstances are unique to us, but there will inevitably be someone who's been down in that hole before and they know the way out. They can help you. So you come in with your stuff. You get to know people, you let people love you, you let people support you, you let people feed you. You be known, you be seen. Sorry if you've been here and you've not been seen. Come and talk to me. When Miles was two, when he was in intensive care that time at King's, on that Sunday morning, Ben, I wasn't here obviously. Ben, apparently, I spoke to him, apparently he tried to bin off church to get to the hospital, but that wasn't allowed. So uh, Chris came instead, told the security that he was my cousin so he could get into A&E. <laughs> He's not my cousin. He knows my cousin. <laughs> Is that the same thing? I don't think so. Um, and then Chris just appeared in A&E and he just stood he hugged us and he stood and he prayed with us just I don't want anything from I'm just here to pray for you I'm here to intercede for you while Miles was just being kept alive essentially and he was in for a week in intensive care so that was on the Sunday Ben turned up after church McDonald's quality and Alice stayed in over that first night I went home someone from here picked me up first thing in the morning took me back to the hospital I walk into the ward and Tamsin uh, who's from this church if you don't know Tam she's 
basically my favourite person in this church. It's just stood there with quality coffee and pastries. Like the coffee in hospital, as you know, is like dire. Like she's gone outside to get coffee and just stood there with this coffee. She's an occupational therapist. She works at King's. Um, and we had that for like a week in that moment of stepping in. We stepped into this and we opened ourselves up and said, help, <laughs> help. And God, through his people, helped in that moment for the week. And then for the weeks afterwards, food, booze, like school pickups, all of it from this community. Step into this community. It, it ain't perfect, but it's also beautiful at the same time. Uh, look up to God. Look up. I'm going to pray that's not an actual fire. Look up. Step in. And then thirdly, look back and forward. We look back at Job. Job was a great example of this patience in suffering and endurance when the alarm's going off. I'm a great example of it as well, of keeping going. We look back, but Hebrews 12 says, Jesus Christ endured the cross and despised its shame. Amen. Again, for that, in that word for endure, again, is that hippomone, again, is that same word for patience that we had earlier of standing firm, hyperstand. And that is, Jesus is the ultimate story of patience. He is the ultimate Job. He is the true Job. He is the true Jeremiah. He is the true every other character in the Bible. Jesus is the pure example because he didn't sin. There was nothing on him. But he did it and he went and he endured it for us. As that passage says in Hebrews, all the forces of hell and evil and darkness were coming down. And Jesus, what did he do? He stood firm. Hyperstand. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? We know that he said, but... That's not moaning, that's not com complaining when he said that. That's just someone showing the agony of lost love. And he's standing there between us, power of hell, we stood behind him and he's just stood there like holding it like that. I've got this. And that's why we trust him. So looking forward, we've looked back, we've seen Jesus as the pure example of this endurance. And then we look forward when I confess that I read the end of a book and then I always, always watch, find out what happened at the end of a film and a TV series so that I can at least get through the middle part. Well, in the ultimate sense, the opening of today's passage, at the beginning of verse 7, does exactly that. And in many other places in the Bible, God gives us the ultimate spoiler, as it were. Be patient until the Lord's coming. And there's that promise. That's the ending of this story, is that he will come again. Jesus will come again. James' advice to them then, it's the same in the first century as it is in the 21st century. Be patient. Establish your hearts. He tells us the ending of the history of the world so that we can handle the suspense of the middle part that is our life in this moment. And this work of renewal has already begun. Also, you hear lots of people talk about the now and the not yet. That we can have glimpses of God's glory now. We hear often testimonies of healing and that's a glimpse of, of our future. That's a glimpse. It's, that's a moment of God righting a wrong in someone's life. So we have some now. We get these glimpses now. We don't get the full story until he comes again. And that's where our hope lies. Not in an ignorant way where we don't engage now. We engage now. We have no choice but to engage now. But it's knowing that one day Christ will come again. We'll right all those wrongs in the world. And we'll fulfill all of our own personal hopes as well that are of him and that's what we're going to do now is we're going to wait on his Holy Spirit and try and catch a glimpse of him again this morning